Welcome to Notes from a Child Psychologist, the podcast, a place for parents who aspire to be intentional about meeting the mental health needs of their children. My name is Dr. Tasha Brown, a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in working with parents and their children. So many parents tell me that they wish parenting came with a handbook. And on a daily basis, parents tell me how overwhelmed they are with the abundance of parenting resources and tools out there. The one thing I've come to realize is that no matter their parenting concern or struggle, deep down, parents just want their children to be healthy, happy, and thriving. If you are a parent who's ready to build their parenting toolbox, join me each week as we explore topics that directly impact the mental health of your children. From a culturally relevant perspective, it is my goal to provide you with facts, resources, and practical tools so that in the end, you can make decisions that work for you. While I love talking with you each week, this is just a friendly reminder that this podcast and the information provided by the host and or guest is not a replacement for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. I'm excited to have you here and excited to take notes with you. All right. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Notes from a Child Psychologist. As always, I am super excited that you have joined us today. I hope you've been enjoying our extracurricular activities series. First, we had Kate. She talked about her experience with music. We also had Tommy who talked about his experiences as a lacrosse player and how that really impacted him as he got older. And now he's a division one sports player. And I've been getting some amazing feedback from parents, caregivers, and even from other adults who are reflecting back on their own experiences as children who had extracurricular activities and what that meant for them then um, and their mental health and like what that means for them now. So we're going to continue that conversation today with our special guest. But before I introduce her, and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, she will not be a stranger to you. She's actually been on two episodes, two episodes. Um, where she talked a lot about testing and your child's academics because she's a pediatric neuropsychologist. Um, so we are going to be talking to her again, but I am going to first let you know that if you have not listened to the episodes in this series, go back and take a listen to them, share them with any parents or caregivers that you think may be interested And I think we should just jump right into this week's episode. But before we do, like we always do, we are going to start out with this week's note of the week. It's time for the note of the week. Each week, I will be bringing you a note. The note will be a letter from you, the listener, a clip from a newspaper article, a social media post, or something circulating in popular culture that is relevant to your child's mental health. The goal of the note is to start an important conversation about an issue and springboard us into a discussion about how you can support your child's mental health, strengthen the relationship between you and your child, and if you choose, put some new parenting skills into action. Join me for this week's note. So this week's note of the week comes from rugcutters.com, which is a very cute website for a dance studio. And they have a really great article about seven ways that dance can improve your child's mental health. And I'll just read a little bit of it. And as always, the link to this will be posted in the show notes. So the article starts by saying dance can be a great way to build children's physical and mental health. Joining an extracurricular activity can improve their mood, self-confidence, and relieve anxiety. Learning how to dance can improve your child's mental health, teach them creative skills, and also how to express themselves. 
And then it goes into all these beautiful benefits of dance that I'm pretty sure Dr. Meister will talk about today. So it helps to build self-confidence, develop social skills and create friendships, encourages creative thinking, helps children learn to express themselves, gets their bodies moving, helps them learn healthy habits, and also helps to relieve stress and anxiety. So with all of that being said and that great introduction to the beautiful benefits of dance, I'm going to introduce our guest, Dr. Jessica Meister, who is no stranger to the podcast. So thanks for joining us again today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here, especially to talk about dance. Yeah. So she is a dancer and she actually listened to the podcast episodes with Kate and Tommy and really wanted to just share her experience from her personal experience with dance. And now we know she is a professional and can kind of help us think about the benefits of not only dance, but extracurricular activities um, and how that plays into your child's well-being. So I am very excited about this conversation. So maybe we can just jump right in and you can tell us a little bit Well, let's start with who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff first before we jump into your experiences with dance. Of course. Um, So as we discussed in prior episodes, I am a pediatric neuropsychologist. I'm based um, in the New York City tri-state area, and I primarily conduct evaluations for children, adolescents, uh, and young adults who are struggling with any type of um, learning, attention, or a mental health, social, emotional challenge. Uh, and I help with educational advocacy. So a lot of diagnostic evaluations, uh, therapeutic assessment, helping parents to understand their child better and figure out, um, you know, how to change the trajectory of your child's life through educational interventions and also interventions outside, um, including that could be some type of therapy or coaching. Uh, it could also be extracurricular enrichment activities mm-hmm. to help promote um, your child's strengths and talents. And, uh, we're going to get a lot, uh, into that a little bit later. (laughs) Great. I love that. And I'm going to post Dr. Meister's contact information as well as her two previous episodes in the link in our bio, um, and in the show notes. So, um, before we get into dance, uh, can you just talk a little bit about, your childhood as it relates like extracurricular activities. So were you the type of child who was always involved in something? Uh, were you not? Like how, how did that work for you as a child? Absolutely. So way before I became a psychologist and a, <laughs> and a neuropsychologist, I was just a um, little girl uh, growing up in Northern New Jersey in Bergen County. And um, we moved there were different towns. We were involved in like a Jewish community center where they had lots of extracurriculars. And then, you know, the town, there were many opportunities to engage in sports and extracurriculars. Um, and then my parents also, you know, had exposed me to other things in, in private situations. But um, really for me from birth, it seemed like from early childhood, I was in, always involved in many different extracurriculars, whether it was swimming, karate, creative movement, art, pottery, um, sports, tennis, uh, music. I played instruments. So um, in in many different contexts, school and outside of school, um, I was involved in in extracurriculars really from from very early on. And uh, I don't know if this is typical, but my parents really exposed me to, I think, every single (laughs) type of extracurricular that you could possibly... Mm-hmm. be in. And, um, I think for a long time, like, I don't remember whether those were things that I had expressed interest in, or they were just trying to, you know, kind of see what was going on in our community and expose me to a lot of different, um, types of activities at that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. That was going to be my question is, do you remember if you wanted to do these things or were your parents just like, you know what, we're going to expose her to all these different things, see what she likes, see what she doesn't like, and then take it from there. Or did you just live in an environment where that was like the culture of how people were raising their children and everyone was involved? So I think early on, you know, early childhood, birth to three, pre-K, you know, pre-K, preschool years, 
I don't know that I was personally expressing interest. I think my parents were involved in, again, in those different preschool community, community center organizations where everyone in the, in the environment was sort of enrolling in different extracurriculars. And my parents were wanting to expose me to a lot of different activities and socialization opportunities and, you know, wanted to see what I liked and, and how I could develop some more skills through those programs. As I got a little bit older, I think into elementary and, and later elementary, which I think we'll get to later, I think I started to have a little bit more agency in terms of what I wanted to do. Like, hey, I want to try tennis or my a friend was playing tennis or another friend had joined Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. And that was I saw other people doing things and I said, oh, I want to do that or I want to become, you know, better friends with, you know, XYZ folks. I actually mm-hmm. moved from Hackensack to Washington Township when I was in second grade. So I was about mm-hmm. eight and uh, this is the early nineties. So we're taking it <laughs> way back. Um, but I remember that time, you know, I was sort of struggling to make friends in the new school. Cause obviously these kids have been going to school with each other yeah. since kindergarten and I was brand new and I felt a little bit isolated. And so I really wanted to join activities that other kids were doing so that I could mm-hmm. also kind of join their crew and, 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 yeah. in, and in, infiltrate that situation and not feel <laughs> so much of an outsider. Yeah, definitely understand. One of the things when I talk with parents in my clinical practice with younger children, this question about extracurricular comes up very often. Um, and one of the biggest questions is, uh, how should I direct this? Should it be child directed? So should I wait until my child expresses interest or should I just expose them to different things? And I also have parents who um, there's this pressure in the communities that they live in and existing where everyone is involved and their children are involved in lots of different extracurricular activities and and parents are are trying to find that balance. From a professional perspective, I love that we can kind of jump back and forth. So from a professional perspective, how do you help parents navigate that? So what should I do in regards to my child's extracurricular activities and and how to decide what they do. Absolutely. So first of all, I just want to put it out there that with everything that we discussed with parenting um, or many you know, decisions <laughs> and, and things that we do in this life, there is no one way and it mm-hmm. is going to need to be individualized for you and your family and your child. So mm-hmm. some of it will also relate to the culture of your family or the culture of the place where you're living. Um, your child's personality, what you know about them, you know, what their strengths and challenges are. So those are all important aspects to take into consideration as you're making those, these decisions. Um, that being said, you know, generally I would say at an early age, while your child is still kind of growing and learning and and seeing different parts, I mean, we're always learning and seeing different parts of the world and, and learning about different, you know, parts of ourselves, but I think it is best to, expose them to a a variety of different activities. It doesn't need to be a hundred different activities, but um, definitely, you know, a variety of different activities so that you can kind of see what they gravitate towards, what they don't gravitate towards. It can also teach you what might be um, a challenging situation for your child that maybe, maybe this is not the right time for them to go full a hundred percent into XYZ activity, but maybe you can work on the stepping stones and building blocks to help build up, you know, their mental strength and capacity and effort, um, you know, in that sense. But also you want to, you know, trust your child where they feel comfortable, um, with whom they feel comfortable, right? There's a lot of adults um, Mm -hmm. that they're interacting with. And I remember as a kid, you know, sometimes with a certain coach or a certain even another child's parent, I didn't feel safe in that setting for some reason. And I, I think my parents listened to that when I would come home and kind of share certain things, even if I couldn't yeah. express it, they, they were to read that. So anyways, I think from the start exposure to, you know, different types of physical activity and different types of creative, you know, and artistic and social activities is a good thing. And then as your child's getting a little bit older, you do want to listen to them and they don't need to be involved. I think we are way over scheduling the kids. Like they don't have enough downtime for just quiet, creative, independent play. So we, they really, we do need to give them kind of a mix of, you know, family time, um, academic time, quiet time for independent creative play, because that's where creativity really comes from. And also some scheduled extracurricular time. So don't overwhelm your child with too many things at once. Yeah. So thinking about that balance, I love what you talked about 
in terms of every family's different, every child is different, every culture, every neighborhood is different. So really taking into consideration those things as you make those decisions and so many other things pop into my mind. But let's continue with your story. So you were, your parents were exposing you to lots of different things. Um, we, we know that you settled on dance. So how did that happen? What was that trajectory like from your parents saying like, hey, go try tennis and softball and basketball and swimming to actually I want to do dance and what happened after that? Yeah. So interestingly, you know, I had taken some early creative movement classes when I was about three years old. I got exposed to like, you know, tap, ballet, jazz very early on, very basic. And then after that, it it sort of didn't stick at that time for whatever reason. And I sort of went more into sports and outdoor activities and camp Mm -hmm. and, and, um, all of that. But I still always loved things that I still love now, cooking and making jewelry at the time Mm -hmm. or doing art projects on my own and, and musical theater and, and all of this. But dance really didn't come back around until I think third, fourth grade. So again, we moved to a new town. I'm eight years old and uh, I wanted to meet people. So I did Girl Scouts. I did every sport. And I really liked, in particular, I liked indoor soccer because I didn't like the dirt. <laughs> I started to... <laughs> You're I like, I'll do not, it inside. <laughs> yeah. I was like, let me get these Samba shoes. I loved those. <laughs> um, and I, I liked basketball also because I looked up to my dad and my dad had played basketball in high school. And that was a sport he still loved to play. And, you know, I had a this idealism. I wanted to be like my dad, right? So he coached my team. He made me the point guard. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember, but mostly from basketball, my favorite part was the breakaway pants, you know? <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I was starting to realize, I think by third, fourth grade, like maybe, you know, maybe this is not for, for me. And mm-hmm. I don't want to just, even though there's no way I could have articulated this at that time, but I'm not going to just do this because my dad, likes it and because Mm -hmm. he was coaching my team. But I think that's really challenging for a lot of kids and parents sometimes put a lot of pressure. I don't think my dad did, but it was clear that it made him happy when I did X, Y, Z, you know, when I played basketball, when he could coach my team. Yeah. And can we just pause there for a second? I think that is so important for parents just to be mindful of that. Number one, you said it so beautifully. It, it, it's hard for a child to have the language of, I just don't want to be doing this sport or engaging in this activity or doing this thing just because my parent likes it or wants me to do it. That language is, is language that we develop from a developmental perspective much later into adolescence, even adulthood. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> um, correct. So late adolescence, adulthood. Um, so that's language children do not have. However, Children can pick up on when something makes their parents excited, when it brings them joy, when it makes them proud. And those things are reinforcing in so many different ways. And I cannot tell you how many times I talk with kids and they're like, yeah, I need to go to soccer or basketball or swimming. And I really don't like it, but my parents love when I do that, or I know that it makes it happy or everyone does it. Um, so as a parent and caregiver, just being mindful of the vibes <laughs> that you're sending <laughs> when you have your child engage in this extracurricular activity so that you can encourage them or that there's space for them to verbalize to you if they want to make a change or if something's yeah. not right for yeah. them. And their sole motivation is not just to please or to follow along with what it is that their parent, parent wants. Yeah. And that's hard. I, I also have some parents who are like, well, I don't care. Like we, everyone's going to play music. Like that's just a thing. We're that's all going to do doing. softball. That That's just a thing. And like you said earlier, different strokes for different families. Everyone does what works for them. And if that is your pr- approach, really thinking about ways to build, build up your child's agency and autonomy within yeah. what yeah. has been chosen for them. Absolutely. And I, that does go back to like your parenting values. Um, and yeah. establishing what those are and and what's you know what's really important to you. So mm-hmm. at that time interestingly I was always sort of a performer so mm-hmm. even though I wasn't taking dance classes or in any musicals or actually performing 
I was performing at home. I was performing <laughs> at, at family gatherings, uh-huh. you know, like I would put on an improv show. Whitney Houston, the bodyguard soundtrack came <laughs> out. I was very, you know, mm-hmm. I think I was still listening on cassette tape. I was very interested in that. Mm-hmm. And in third grade, there was a talent show in my elementary school. And these mm-hmm. other two two girls that I was friendly with, who I really liked, um, did a duet to uh, Michael Jackson's Black or White. And <laughs> I, I just... This. <laughs> yes, this is a great story. And I just remember <laughs> them on stage doing their, you know, jump splits. And they were already taking dance classes at different studios in the mm-hmm. neighborhood. And I was like, wow, you know, that is so cool. I really want to do that. I think I did my own little improv dance to I'm Every Woman. Um, there were cartwheels. <laughs> I don't know what I did. I think I, I went you were on like, stage. I'm ready. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I made up the whole thing and I really, there was like a thrill and there was a joy. And I, uh, you know, I came home one day and I just said to my mom, I said, do you think dad will be upset if I mm. quit basketball and, and start dancing? Uh-huh. And she said, no, he's not going to be upset. Like we would, well, we're happy to support you in what mm-hmm. you want to do. Now, I don't know if he was upset privately. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure as a parent, you have a moment of like, oh, like, like, you know, you know, <laughs> Just mm-hmm. like how, you know, with my children, I, one day, maybe they'll be into dance or maybe they'll not be into dance, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's a small moment where your heart sinks. And also I think they really much really accepted, uh, where I was. So I ended up continuing a little bit longer with soccer and just, but throwing myself into dance that was completely driven by me. They did not mm-hmm. pressure me to do. I don't remember them putting pressure on me for anything. And I asked them like, you know, I want to be in this competition company. I want to audition and Mm. I'm years behind because most kids have been dancing since they were three and never stopped. And I was going into fourth grade. So I was behind in technique. I was behind in everything. Um, just the culture of the dance studio. So I asked for private lessons. I asked, you know, I, I joined multiple classes. I really like threw myself into, into dance. I watched videos and taught myself and wrote I would write down all of the moves and teach. So I was, this was you totally motivated by me. Yeah. I was very self-motivated and it was around fourth grade. And this, my parents did not pressure me at all. And then I think that's one of the reasons why it was one of the best things I did because it came from me. And that's really, yeah. you know, my value, I think for kids, I think it, it I think it should, the, as, as much as possible, it should come from them because, um, that will really help again with that self-initiation, that drive, that motivation, yeah. that grit. Like mm-hmm. when they're really motivated to do something, they're going to put in so much effort to do it. If they're being told to do it, it becomes, I think, less meaningful and less joyful and less independent in ways that mm-hmm. we actually want them to grow in. So I'm really glad I had that experience. And I'm very, very grateful and lucky that my parents supported it. Yeah, I love that. How I, I I think I want you to reflect when I ask this question on how your parents managed this and how they did this, and then also just from your professional opinion on on how to help parents manage. This. So I hear this very often. Um, I feel like I hear the extremes of this. So I either hear my child is not motivated or driven enough, and I want them to like get in there and move and go. Or I hear like my child is way into this, too much into this. They're too competitive. I'm worried just about how intense this is getting for them. How did your parents manage your intensity level? Um, did it match with like their personality and who they are as people? Like, are they just like intense people? So they're like, yes, Jess, you're going to be <laughs> intense too. Or were they like, whoa, it's not that serious. Like, how did they, how did your parents manage that? That's a great question. Um, I'm so curious to ask them now. <laughs> I think, I think it was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a little bit of both. I think overall they saw that motivation and that drive and that self-starter behavior. And they were really, um, proud of me and happy mm-hmm. to see me, you know, hone in on something and really, you know, you know, talk about executive functioning, but like mm-hmm. have a goal, make <laughs> mm-hmm. a plan, follow, follow through, through. <laughs> you know, um, regulate my emotions around mm-hmm. the process, like, uh, like develop discipline. I think on that end, that is in line 
in some ways with both of their personalities. They're both very pretty disciplined, organized, you know, goal-driven people. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, I know that there were times, especially as I got deeper into it, you know, we're talking about high school where it did become very intense and um, in some ways. And I, you know, I would get very upset about certain things. And I think, you know, I think they just tried to just listen and, and make space for it and validate. I don't think they tried to change my experience or change how I was approaching things. I think they just, I felt that they were there for me, Mm -hmm. um, in those moments. Uh, but they honestly, there was nothing stopping me at that. Like there was Mm -hmm. nothing they could do or say (laughs) to change my course of action. I was a very determined, driven, Mm -hmm. stubborn, Mm -hmm. uh, child and adolescent. So Mm -hmm. they, I think they also knew me and they knew that they couldn't kind of stop me going down this road and I needed to figure it out for myself. And they gave me the space to do that, which I really yeah. appreciate. I love this. I This is a conversation I could have for like hours and days yes. <laughs> of when parents, when their personality and their values and how they approach things are very different or just don't line up with their child's. Um, because they're two different people. So it's very understandable and how parents relate to that. So it sounds like your parents recognize like, okay, this is who she is and we are going to um, help her to develop into who she is versus like, this is who she is. This is who we are. And we kind of need her to kind of fall somewhere in the middle or kind of get on the same page as us. And one thing, when parents have these very highly motivated, driven children who can at times have very big emotions or strong emotions or anxiety because of the things that they're so intense about, um, helping parents to recognize like that's not a that's not something we want to squash in mm-hmm. a child or in an individual. We want to encourage that, and we want to encourage it in ways that those characteristics become adaptive. And become skills that are helpful um, and and enhance your child in, in other areas of their life as well. But that can be tricky, especially if the parent doesn't place as much value in one of the sports or the activity or um, doesn't want their child being stressed. It can just become very tricky. And I see parents struggling with that. And I always err on the side of let's not squash that, but let's teach some skills. On Absolutely. how your child can manage whatever it is that they are so focused on and so intense about. Um, so something just for parents to be thinking about and mindful of as they navigate these different situations yeah. with their child. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from a young age, trying to help, I mean, balance, that's like such a funny word because it's, <laughs> it, it's a lifelong, I think, struggle for me, mm-hmm. balance, right? And I, and I have, figured it out. But I I had a lot of years of trying to figure that out. And mm-hmm. that probably started in my adolescence, right? Yeah. Um, where I was doing too much. And mm-hmm. I did run myself to the ground in some ways, physically and emotionally, mm-hmm. um, because I was such an overachiever, both academically and in my extracurriculars mm-hmm. and socially. So, um, you know, but that I, I think maybe we could have focused on that in my house and some of the emotion regulation a little bit earlier on, but otherwise I do think that was something I had to figure out for myself by going through it and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and getting a place of, of learning that. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, parenting, recognizing, like you were saying that your, your child is different from you. Your partner is different from you. That's one of my hardest. (laughs) Um, and Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, they may function differently that they have different, they have different socialization needs. They have different physical activity needs. They have different needs around, hobbies and free time, you know, some people, you know, it, and, and how scheduled or not scheduled they are. Yeah. Um, and it's something to keep in mind. And then just also man, which is with everything with parenting is managing your own emotional response to your child's emotions and, and realizing like, it might be okay if they're, if they're stressed or they're angry or they're upset, like they need to learn how to regulate those emotions that we don't want to get rid of that. We want to help like to your point, teach them how to go mm-hmm. through, experience those emotions, be present with those emotions and regulate them, you know, appropriately. So yeah, because they don't disappear. I'm pretty sure if you they reflect on yourself as a adult, 
a lot of those same characteristics are there. And I think about myself as a child, I'm pretty much like the same Tasha in there. I just have some better skills on how to navigate everything and how to regulate and make decisions. But the core of personality and we are as people, like those are still in there. You're still a driven go-getter, wanting to expose yourself and be competitive type of person. I know this because I know you. Um, (laughs) And um, you've been able to hone those skills over time into something that works for you as like a productive functioning adult. And and how might that have looked different if where you were the foundation, which I would assume is dance, if the foundation of where you learned those skills was interrupted by a caregiver or coach or someone who didn't really see those things in you? I can't imagine what that would have been like. Um, Mm -hmm. It was like dance was my whole life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, I always had a big life, but it was really my main focus. And so going back to what I said before, you know, the fact that I chose that and that was my path and, and that's where I was finding meaning and value and joy. And, and those are my values now. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the, the moment that an extracurricular loses that, um, either because it just ran its course or something yeah. changed in, in your child or, you know, or a parent interrupting that and it becomes more parental driven. I think that's where the benefits of the extracurricular yeah. are lost yes. and where eventually yes. we, you know, if you think about later on in life, we find people in situations and relationships and jobs that they're not happy in because yes. they didn't choose, maybe they didn't choose that path or, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't learn how to figure out what drives them yep. and to derive, how to derive meaning yeah. from it and, and what really brings them joy. So mm-hmm. I think it's all the more important to, yeah. to, to focus yeah. on. Yeah. And they didn't learn from the, the experience of saying, this doesn't serve me well, so I'm going to do something else. And, and it'll be okay. Like mm-hmm. children need to experience that of, I don't like this. This doesn't work for me. I'm going to make a change and recognize that the change is okay. Yes. <laughs> like that and is something that we need to be exposed to. Absolutely. And, and that decision should not be made from an emotional place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It needs to be made from what we call a wise mind mm-hmm. decision. So mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like, you know, I, you drop, you drop hard today. Yeah. yeah. So- <laughs> soccer was so hard today and, mm-hmm. and so-and-so was mean to me or, mm-hmm. you know, your child's having stage fright at a, mm-hmm. at a dance performance and, you know, or to, to enter even the room when they're three mm-hmm. and to separate from you. Like that doesn't mean you then go rescue and pull them out of it. Like, yeah, I, I think the best way to do it is to, um, sign them up for a short commitment of time. And to develop a plan with your child, like we are going to do this for a month or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, you get your child's foot in the door and they will, you will help them to experience the emotions they have through that period. And then at the end of it, right. And they learn that consistency and that discipline. And at the end of it, you say, okay, like, let's talk about overall, you know, um, you know, 75, 80% of the time. Did you enjoy that? Did you learn something? Mm-hmm. Was it meaningful to you? And to really reflect on it, what were the, what were the, you know, positives? What were the challenges? Is this something you want to do again? You know, and kind of thinking through all of that, if you have the privilege to do so, obviously financially and, and all other ways. But, um, I think, you know, you need to help them with the commitment and, and to grow first. And then they can, and which is what I did. I know with my mom, I said, you know mm-hmm. what? I'm good on tennis. Like I did it. <laughs> I, I tried it. You know, I'm good on art class. Like I'm not feeling it anymore. But Mm -hmm. when I came home and said like, I didn't like it today or they were mean, like my parents didn't automatically just like rip me out of that situation. And I think that's where we don't, and it's inadvertent. It's not on purpose. You're just trying to protect your kid, but that's where we're not giving them their, the space and the opportunity to actually experience an emotion that could be challenging to experience and know how to work through it. Yeah, I love all of this. And we're definitely going to get to some of those the mental health benefits that you experienced. And But before we get there, I, I, another thing that um, parents talk about a lot, and Kate and Tommy also touched on this differently in both of their episodes, was when we think about the adding the competition piece to it. And I hear this all the time, and it's such a tricky conversation where parents will say, okay, 
my child is going to go for dance. And because they signed up for dance, like they need to be the best dancer. And I am going to invest like all my time, Mm. all my energy, (laughs) and they need to get to the top because if you're a great dancer, that can lead to scholarships and scholarships can lead to parents to see their three-year-old, their five-year-old engaging in music, sports, and then it turns into a child activity and they're thinking college, they're thinking professional. What's the balance like for that from your professional opinion? And and I also want to, because I feel like we can't have this conversation without having a acknowledgement of how race and socioeconomic status and exposure and access play into that. For yep. some families, some of these um, activities are ways that families can navigate in terms of their social mobility and access to college or higher education. And so for some families, like that's the rationale and the thinking, like you're great at basketball. Okay. You're going to ride this basketball thing out because this is a way that we can afford to get you into these higher educational institutions. Um, where, yeah, so I feel like it's just hard to have that, this conversation without acknowledging that piece. And at the same time, like how do we help parents to navigate this? competitive, I'm thinking 10, 15 years down the line versus my five-year-old, six-year-old right now. This is an extremely difficult question to respond to. Yeah, it's hard. um, Yeah, I think it's really important to think about, you know, privilege and financial Mm -hmm. situations because that, and again, and that's where like the decisions that you make have to come also from your individual situation because everyone's situation is different. And, you know, if you have the luxury of not engaging in that behavior with your child, Mm -hmm. you know, to, uh, to an extent, obviously that, you know, it's good and bad. And the other hand, it can really push your child to be successful. I think there's a middle path here, right. Mm -hmm. With, with, with everything and with parenting, we don't want to be on either extreme, right. We don't want to be too loose. We don't Mm want to be too strict. We mm-hmm. don't want to put no pressure and no limits and we don't want to put too much pressure and too much limits. So I think it's, it, I mean, it's also awesome to have a dream for your child and, and to think about, you know, scholarships and all opportunities. I think that's very, you know, um, and, and to believe in your child and to help them to believe in themselves by saying like, you could do this, you could do that. Mm-hmm. But I think being a little bit just open about it and not being so having that tunnel vision um, for one thing might just be helpful. And also, you know, when I think about, you know, Buddhism and attachment to outcomes and things like that, I think if we get too yeah. attached to outcomes of certain mm-hmm. situations or too attached to who our child's going to be or what they're going to do or how they're going to succeed. And then that doesn't happen. That can cause a lot of angst and, you know, anger and sadness, and that's going to affect the parent child relationship. So, which is what we really don't want to do. So I think you just have to be really careful in how you navigate that. I think you can have, you can have goals, you can, you know, set limits. You can also like put some pressure on your child to, you -hmm. know, grow and succeed with flexibility. And I know that's yeah. really harder, harder yeah. to do. But. Yeah. It's a, I feel like we could have a whole five episodes about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you said something so beautiful just about the parent-child relationship. In your experience, how did Zance play into your relationship with your parents? Like what did it? Yeah. Like what role did that play in that, in that relationship? So, you know, and it's interesting because you know, typically what happens right in early adolescence and out adolescence, we're going through a stage where we're trying to navigate the idea that we are an independent person from mm-hmm. our parents and we still need them. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> in, in psychology, we call it separation individuation, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, we are becoming more independent, but we also still need them. So I think it helped me to really define who I was independent from my parents and from my family and to mm-hmm. craft my own identity. Yeah. Um, and then simultaneously to, to have that safe base to come back home to mm-hmm. um, and to talk about whatever had gone down that day. You know, I remember my parents, they, you know, my mom and then my dad would pick me up 
from, you know, they dropped me off, picked me up in the car. And on the way home, it was a 15 minute drive. And that's when we would have the time to reflect on the day for the first time and talk about what happened in class or, you know, if something had was going on emotionally or socially with me or someone else. And that's, and that's where we could get that time to kind of reconnect and reflect and then mm-hmm. transition back to home. So I think it really helps again with becoming more independent you know, becoming my own person, my own identity, and also then sharing with my parent what my experience was and and helping us to connect as well. Love that. What about the mental health? How did dance impact your mental health? And and I want to take this question in like two different directions. So what are the positive things that and, and impact that dance had on your mental health? And what are the ways that, um, you struggled with your mental health or that dance didn't play such a great role in your mental health? Because I think it's important with anything to recognize that there's two ends of the the, the coin with that. And Tommy and Kate also reflected on, yeah, the music and, and sports were great for my mental health in these ways. And I struggled in these ways because of, of um, music and sports. So can you talk a little bit about that? I uh, I love this question so much, and not just because I'm a psychologist, um, <laughs> and all, just because you know. And I think, as I've reflected on my experience with dance later in life as an adult, you know, mm-hmm. there were so many tremendous positives, and I do not regret one moment of my experience. And at the same time, I have memories of situations and. And I, I do think it did take an impact on my mental health at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't regret one moment of it. I wouldn't change a thing. I okay. So um, in terms of my mental health, I mean, I just cannot imagine a life without dance. Mm-hmm. It provided me with so many benefits for my mental health. I mean, first of all, um, it's been implied, but in case it wasn't clear, right? <laughs> um, I was a very anxious, overachieving kiddo with some perfectionistic tendencies I had, which again, as I always say to everyone, anxiety is really adaptive for someone Mm -hmm. like, like me, like it can help you to achieve so many things because you want to do well, you know, you want others to like you, you want to be successful. Right. And those Mm -hmm. worries do propel you to an extent until sometimes it can go a little bit too far. Um, I think that I was able to manage my anxiety because I had dance. So Mm -hmm. It first of all, it gave me a it gave me a goal to strive for. It mm-hmm. helped me to, you know, realize that I could set a goal and then plan the steps and then work really hard to achieve that goal. That gave me so much self confidence. Um, just the physical movement activity. Obviously, we know that that releases a whole set of you know mm-hmm. um, hormones or neurotransmitters in our brain mm-hmm. in terms of improving our mood, our ability to um, tolerate. Uh, stress and help with our stress management. Mm-hmm. The the actual, you know, so much of dance is there's a there's a creativity, there's a flow, there's emotion, and different in different yeah. um, classes and different techniques and in different areas of dance, depending on what you're doing. Like there are moments to express sadness through dance, anger, joy, excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I loved learning all the different styles of dance. And I really participated in every single one at one point and choreography and also figured out which ones were best for me over time mm-hmm. and, and, and dropped out on ones that were not vibing. Yeah. You know, I wasn't yeah. vibing with them yeah. for either, either physically, I didn't feel my body or my feet or my technique lent itself to it, or just the way that my body moves compared to someone else. You know, I just, um, certain things like hip hop and jazz and tap and theater resonated with me more than ballet, for example, mm-hmm. right. Or, or lyrical at the time, but being able to express your emotions through your movement, especially at that time, I don't think I had the emotion identification or expression skills, which is like primarily what we do when we talk to kids in therapy and adults mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to help them with. I didn't have, I don't think I had all those skills. And it was very difficult for me to talk about my emotions, especially negative ones. Yeah. So it just gave me that outlet to, you know, process everything that I was going through as an early adolescent and adolescent, which we know there's a lot going on inside our mm-hmm. bodies and outside socially. Yeah. So it really gave me such an amazing outlet for that. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love that you can, in here, you talk about it. I don't even think I need to ask you the ways that it impacts you today, because the way that you talk about it shows that you recognize how impactful those things have been for you as you have navigated your way through life. But I'm still going to (laughs) ask as an adult, like as you think back on your experiences with dance and you now as a professional, as a as an adult who navigates life, like how do you see the foundation that was set in dance? Like, how do you see that play a role? I, I mean, it plays a huge role, right? I mean, um, and just going back as a neuropsychologist, I'm always thinking about executive functioning too, but just in terms of um, goal setting, discipline, time management, mm-hmm. um, prioritization, making a commitment to something and following through. I mean, I was dancing 15 hours a week in high school. Yeah. I was yeah. da- It was six days a week. We had competitions all mm-hmm. summer, you know, dance camp and competitions. Um, I was also assistant teaching classes. I was in school. I was taking all AP and honors classes. I was in 12 Mm -hmm. clubs. I think I was the president of four of them. I mean, some Mm -hmm. could say I was also in the musicals in high school. So Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot, probably Mm -hmm. look, I was doing too much, right? Mm -hmm. I was definitely running myself thin and I wasn't sleeping a lot and I was doing, still doing very well in school and still somehow finding time to, to socialize on the weekend. So Um, I had to learn so much in terms of like how to plan and prioritize my schedule, how to, you know, make a commitment to someone, something and follow through. Obviously, you know, socially, there's so much that goes on there in terms of leadership skills. I was basically like in acting as a teenage therapist in my dance company, (laughs) you know, Mm because there were many things going on. We're teenage girls. I mean, there were Mm -hmm. many things going on, right? There were, there were pure conflicts. I was mediating, you know, people were going through different things either within their families or at dance and, you know, people had emotions that were processing. And I remember sitting there and being an ear and, and, and helping, you know, my, Mm -hmm. my friends with that. So, I mean, part of that, and that's who I became. I mean, I became a psychologist. Like yeah. that can't be a coincidence. Um, yeah. And in terms of now, like for my hobbies and leisure and my mental and physical and spiritual health, I still, I still engage in dance and a lot of other movement, yoga, exercise, because it's what makes me feel my best. And also it's when I'm my most present. So it mm-hmm. really helps me with my mental health now. And now I'm able to just pick and choose the parts of dance that that are just the positive parts and just the yeah. the fun parts that are working for me that are serving me yeah. um, because there were some things that I don't that didn't didn't serve me as well which I think mm-hmm. I I do want to go into those too if that's okay yeah yeah and before we do I I love this conversation I was just thinking about this the other day in in my own personal experience so I wasn't the kid who was. Uh, I, I did sports. Like I, I was always in a bunch of stuff. Um, but like sports was like not the thing or music was like not the thing that I like latched onto. What I latched onto was like any like club or leadership type of thing. Like that's where I would put all of my, every ounce of my energy. And the other day I was doing something and I was like, this, the reason that I know how to do this so easily and it comes so naturally is because I didn't just start developing this skill when I was 35. I Correct. started developing this skill when I was eight, 15. Yep. And uh, yes, there were times that I think there's some, um, we could talk about personality characteristics of psychologists and people. <laughs> like, um, but I do think there's some times that I was doing too, way too much. Um, but I think it we can't deny the foundational skills that when we allow children to thrive in something that they've identified, how it serves them over and over and over and over again. And sometimes parents, especially uh, when I work with adolescents and, and young adults and college students, and I speak with their parents, there's so much frustration sometimes around their child's um, not and I'm using my little quotation fingers here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that only Jess can see. Um, Dr. Meister can see <laughs> this frustration about their child, like not being able to, or having a hard time, like meeting these social expectations. And 
And sometimes I, I, I'm like, I'm like, let's let's reflect back on when your child was five or ten, and they started to show some of these things. Like, how did you respond? Yeah. Um, how did you help to hone these skills and develop these skills that your child may be struggling with now? So I always urge parents when you see your child having interest in things, even if they are not the next. Serena or Michael Jordan um, or insert whoever there, the skills that this activity or whatever they are pouring into, those skills are going to serve your child over and over and over and over again well into adulthood. A hundred percent. And, you know, on that note, I I had a a parent that I worked with semi-recently and Mm -hmm. she had concerns that like her son was I forget it was soccer or tennis, but, you know, playing and still wanted to go. But she was like, he's not getting better. The coach is yelling Mm -hmm. at him Mm -hmm. and I I don't understand it. Like, and they're just keep losing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was a parent where kind of like the Mm -hmm. opposite type of kiddo to Mm -hmm. who I was where like Mm -hmm. they liked socializing, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, also liked playing on the computer, a total tech genius kiddo Mm -hmm. and a little bit more introverted, but liked going to be on the team and and playing soccer with the friends and didn't really care if they won or lose and didn't have that competition, competitive streak. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and, and I was like, I was like, so what is your, I'm like, what's your concern? (laughs) And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, it's, and I said, is it embarrassing to you that your child's not getting better? And, or is it a money issue? Like, do you not want to spend money? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, well, are they having fun? Mm-hmm. Are they, are they socializing? Are they a part of a team? Yeah. You know, it doesn't, you know, it kind of doesn't matter whether they win or lose. I don't want the focus to be on winning or losing. It's really not about, that's not also what dance was about, even though of course mm-hmm. we were competing and we were working towards a goal together and we wanted to win. Um, yeah. but that was not what it was about at the core. And yeah. it doesn't have to be about that. It's really yeah. like, again, is your child learning, growing, and, um, socializing and are, you know, getting a mental health, physical health benefit. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, how are they enjoying it? Is it meaningful yeah. to them? Yeah. I think uh, to me, that's, what's important. Yeah. Agree. And it, and it does not, your child does not have to interact with the activity the way that you would. Correct. And that's okay. Uh, we could talk about this again for like another three hours, but I also <laughs> want to jump in. What are the ways that you think dance, uh, on the other end of the spectrum? didn't serve you well? um, And how did you navigate those things? So I think we sort of alluded to this before, but, you know, it got pretty intense and Mm -hmm. it was competitive, even sometimes with your peers on the team, you know, who got what spot, you know, who's in front, who got this extra solo, who did this, Mm -hmm, or, or, you know, sometimes your teachers would get down on you or critique you or criticize you. So I think for an anxious um, perfectionist, especially um, <laughs> who d- didn't historically take criticism well as a child, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was, you know, it was emotionally stressful at sometimes, and I took it very seriously. Which again, yeah. not that is not a bad thing that I took it so seriously. And I'm sure my my mom would say that there were times that you know she wished I had that it wasn't the end of the world. Like if we lost or if I got criticized or something happened, it wasn't such a big, you know, the catastrophizing mm-hmm. was probably pretty big, but I think maybe Can I pause helped. you for one yeah, second? Yeah. Cause yeah. you just said something that I'm like, duh, 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 duh. you just said so beautifully and it was not a bad thing that I was so into it. Did you recognize that when you were younger or did you get to that as a, as an adult, that recognition that it's okay that I'm, I was so into this and I'm so intense about this. I don't, I knew I was serious and intense about it. I don't, I don't think I realized how intense it was. And I don't think I recognize what you're saying until later, much later on. Yeah. That it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay that I'm so intense about certain things. I think sometimes, and this is a whole other topic, but I think sometimes there's such a negative light on certain types of intensity about certain things. And we have all these different words and stereotypes. Correct. And we call people like type A. We talk, we say they're uptight or they obsessive. are just so obsessive. Like we have all these things that we say when people are, are having some intensities around something. And I remember the other day I was going hard about something 
and people are always like, Tasha, chill out, like <laughs> relax. <laughs> and I think I've always had this, like, I go hard about certain things. And it literally last week, I just had this, like, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay that it's okay. I'm, 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 fi- it's fine. It's okay that I'm intense about these things. Just like it's okay if your child is intense about these things. What we want is, can they be intense and in who they are with the skills like that they need? So I love that you just said it and you just said it so like strong and like assured. And I think it's a beautiful thing when children and adolescents are able to recognize that their intensity is okay. Yes. When they're young so that they don't have to deal with all the things that come along with not recognizing that your intensity is okay as you get older. Agreed. And I think, you know, we just, we also just need to make sure that like we encourage those areas where they have those intense interests and that intensity is okay. And also like they're a part of the family, they're a part Mm -hmm. of a community, they have Mm -hmm. peers and we just, you know, that's why getting them, if they're in their area of intensity with peers where they can learn also the yes. socialization skills, like mm-hmm. that is ideal, right? Yes. Now, go be intense with your other intense go be friends. In- <laughs> right. And it's mm-hmm. okay to have different interests than other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Love that. Just to wrap up on some of the other question, I think some of the mm-hmm. other challenges, especially with um, dance and gymnastics and, and mm-hmm. these types of activities is that there's such a... Um, of course, physical component to it. And there are, there's body image things that come up, especially, you know, I think teenage girls, but Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to stereotype. It could be anyone, but you know, you are looking at yourself in a mirror every day and you are, and then you're getting critiqued on how your body looks and what Mm -hmm. shape your body is making. And all bodies Mm -hmm. are so different. And I know for myself, I had a body that wasn't, you know, kind of like a stereotypical, ballerina um, body and I didn't have the feet and I started so late. So my technique, you know, I caught up a lot on technique, but that was never my area of strength. My area of strength was, you know, dedication, commitment, performance, my memory, right? Mm -hmm. Like how I, you know, put my all into everything. My strength was never my technique and I made up for it in other ways. And I learned how to compensate, which by the way, I, I know I'm talking back to the positives, but like that is how I survived college jobs, life, because you're always figuring out like your awareness of what are my strengths? What are my relative challenges? This is what I do as a neuropsychologist. How do I encourage those areas of strength and compensate for those areas of of challenge? And those Mm -hmm. enabled me to derive other skills. But yeah, the body image stuff, focus on what you look like. I I was very self-conscious. The costumes, like I remember Mm -hmm. the day that we would all line up and they would measure us with, you know, measuring tape and then order our size and the costume try on day. And I cried many days. And, Hmm. you know, there were times where my mom had to take me to like a special seamstress to like sew a bra into a costume Mm -hmm. and different things like that. And I think that can be a real, you know, challenge because you're constantly comparing yourself to the other people around you. And so that was probably the, um, the worst part of, of dance, I think. And I think yeah. it's important to, you know, when you're putting your child in an extracurricular in general, but who are the coaches? Who are the teachers? What are their personalities like? How are they interacting with their child? What are the messages? If you can kind of find out, especially if you're concerned about your child's mental health or their body image or their eating behavior, you know, just being, you know, trying to also having open conversations with those adults um, on what messages are being presented. Because I think yeah. a lot of, inadvertently, you know, I remember there were judges who commented on our weight, our body. And so I think that, you know, and that's still something I think many people, but that struggle with at times today, even accepting your body for what it is. Yeah. Thanks so much for bringing that piece up, especially when we think about children and adolescents who, for whatever reason, don't fit the mold or the, the picture of whatever they're in. So you don't fit um, the ideal and what that can bring up for your self-esteem and um, how to navigate those things and, and the importance of parents just being very aware of, of how that's happening and, and what your child is using to, to navigate those, those uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. And I think what my mom did and, you know, it was hard for me to talk about because I, again, I had trouble talking about these experiences, mm-hmm. but she saw me emote. She saw my behavior. She saw my reactions and she did support me 
very strongly and trying to help me process it and to be as comfortable as possible. And she even talked to my dance teacher at one point, I had a conversation and I did feel reassured after that. So I think, you know, as a parent, it's not to say like, pull your kid out immediately if something like that Mm -hmm. is going on, but also find ways to help them process it in in as healthy a way as possible. And if it's too much for you, find external support, like my lovely Dr. Mm -hmm. Tasha Brown. (laughs) I love this conversation. I know we're like right at time, but I have to ask this based on what you just said. This idea of your mom going to talk to your, your coach or your teacher whatever they call them in dance, coach, teacher, <laughs> um, instructor. What's that balance like? Because um, parents ask me this all the time. Should I go talk to the coach? Should I go talk to the teacher? Yeah. And I sometimes I'm like, yes, go, go immediately. Go talk to them now. Sometimes I'm like, uh, let's hold off a little yeah. bit. Let's see if your child can use some of these skills on their own. Sometimes I'm like, nope, stay out of it. This is none of your business. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'm like, maybe you go together. How do you... How did your mom and your parents navigate having a child who was like so into something and when they would intervene? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the way that you're responding is is similar to what I would think because it, it totally depends on what the situation is, what your child's mm-hmm. skills are, what their developmental level is and age, right? So I'm sure that, you know, from at a younger age, my parents did more... Mm-hmm navigating, just like you set up more play dates for your child, or, you know, you arrange more things for your child. And then as they start to get older, you know, later in elementary school, middle school, they should be setting up those play dates on their own, right? Or Mm -hmm. you should be encouraging them to take baby steps along the way to start Mm -hmm. advocating for themselves, especially if that's something that makes them anxious, which I'm sure it made me anxious um, for for many years. And so I think it's, it's baby steps, it's incremental, yeah. Um, but if you have the urge to be constantly intervening at a parent, I would say, take a deep breath and pull <laughs> it back. Um, yeah. and then if there is a real situation that clearly need, you know, your child is not able to navigate it and need your help, like, and you're someone who doesn't tend to step in, that's the moment to maybe step in and show your child that you're really there for them. So yeah. I think, again, it is a middle path. It does depend on the situation. And I think it's important to process it with your child and also see what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you should always do exactly what they say, but you know, and to, to, to have a collaborative process on that because, um, your child might not want you to say anything or your yeah. child might really need you. So I think it's a, yeah. it, these are always, it's never an always, and it's never a never it's, it's a sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Love that. We can have this conversation for days on end. Thank you so much. Um, one last question how does, what role does dance play for you today? Yeah. So, I mean, I've talked about the many ways that it's influenced (laughs) me and my Mm -hmm. personality and who I am as a person, but, um, I still, it's still my favorite way to move. It brings me so much joy. It, and the amazing part is I, I, I've been taking classes in New York city for over 10 years with some of the same people, the same classes where you meet new people, the teachers, you develop these amazing friendships and relationships. So it's, it's not only the place where I go exercise or, you know, move mm-hmm. my body and, and feel that joy on my own, but it's also a community and I'm mm-hmm. continuing to build my socialization skills and yeah. it exposes me to other people that I would never have met in the city. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and to express myself still to, to manage my emotions. Right. Um, and also to perform like we don't, I, I have actually have performed a few times as an adult, but it's not for me anymore in a real sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in class, even like splitting up into groups and you perform with your other group and you cheer the other group on. And it's just such a beautiful um, form of movement, art, stress relief, uh, community, socialization. It's just, it's a, if you love it to perform or even if it's, it's challenging, like I, I challenge you to try because it wasn't my natural inclination at first. And it's something that I found and it is just, um, it's just a beautiful thing. I love it so much. Love that. We're going to end there on your love and my love for what you're saying. Um, thank you so much for, um, coming and sharing that beautiful experience. And I just want to talk to so many different people who have their experiences and their extracurricular activity and their reflections. I think this is so important. And if you want to join this conversation as you listen, feel free to email me, leave some messages in the comment sections of wherever you're listening to this. 
share it with your outlets so that you can start having these conversations within your parent and caregiver groups as well. So with that being said, I hope you can join me for next week's episode. And as always, I love taking notes with you. See you next week. Bye. Hey there. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Notes from a Child Psychologist. I am looking forward to reading your comments and reviews. If you enjoyed this episode and if you love this space as much as I do, I would appreciate it if you subscribe, leave a review, and most importantly, share with others. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at Dr. Tasha Brown on all platforms. Join me next Tuesday for another episode. And as always, I'm so excited to take notes with you.